0: Hi, my name is Dan Doriani. I'm professor of biblical theology at Covenant Theological Seminary and the founder and president of the Center for Faith and Work. And you're listening to RYM's podcast, The Local Youth Worker. One, two, one, two, three. Hey everybody, welcome
1: back to another episode. As you heard from the, from the tagline, I'm here with Dr. Dan Doriani. Uh, Dan, how's it going?
0: It's, it's good. It's a beautiful day in St. Louis, and the sun, the sun is shining, and the temperature 68 degrees, and it's a delight to speak to you.
1: Uh, very, very nice. Um, and I should say, welcome back. I had to go and look. You were on episodes 364 uh, through 366, as we were talking about a rest and work balance. And so it's good to have you back on again. Um, At the time of this recording, it's been just a few weeks, but I was able to go to uh, a micro event that Covenant Seminary hosted uh, where your topic was, Narcissism is Toxic for Pastors. But so is lack of confidence, and I'm looking forward to to digging more into that and talking about that. That was an excellent um, lecture for sure. But before we do that, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your podcast. Um, you're speaking a lot. You're a you're a pastor. You write a lot, but you also have your own podcast. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. It's uh, it's called Working with Dan Doriani, and it seems kind of self promoting, but I'm the only Dan Doriani in the world, so you might as well make use of it. So sure. <laughs> So basically what I do is interview people, about 20 people a year, on the question, how am I practicing my faith in my work? And we get politicians and scientists and business leaders and artists and authors uh, from all walks of life. Uh, You know, we we had an AI guy a while ago, aeronautical engineers, um, historians, you name it. They're all trying to live out their cartoonists. Uh, They're trying to live out their faith in uh, easy settings and not so easy settings. So that's what the podcast is about. Thanks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was looking back recently. I mean, you had Sandra McCracken on there, Colin Hansen, uh, Tim Challies as well. Um, and I, there was something you said, and I don't know if we uh, we can edit this out if you, you'd rather not talk about it, but you, you said something, kind of a passing comment of you getting punched in the heart. Yeah. and, <laughs> and, I was just curious. I mean, can you share yeah. that story? um yeah, I, I, got, I was wondering I got, what happened there
0: yeah, just about a year ago, I got punched in the heart um by accident, of course. um I was playing tennis, and uh, my partner was um I'm not young. I mean my, everybody in the group is was formerly a very good tennis player. and now we're old, formerly good tennis players. and a guy had a new hip and he hadn't played for a long time and he was just full of excitement. And just running around the court like he'd forgotten how you're supposed to play doubles. And there was a ball that was clearly my ball, and he went to get it because he he was very fast, and now he's fast for his age group. And he looked up and realized that I was hitting the ball and just stuck his hands out to avoid a full-blown collision. We're both around 180, so it wasn't, you know, we're old, so we're not going real fast, but we would have really collided. And he just stuck his hand out and knuckled me in the heart and my heart, my pulse went to 200 and stayed there for about two and a half days and then came down. So, so I mean, you know, it, people do die from it once in a while. So the Lord chose to give me more years. Um, It's uh, in karate to do it on purpose. If you can get the person in this spot between their ribs, just as their heart is beating the the match is over and um, people do, die once, you know, 20 people die a year, kind of like the number of shark attacks die per year from that accident that does occur from time to time.
1: Wow. Um, Yeah, you just kind of said that in passing, and I was thinking, okay, what happened there? I I was just uh, curious. Uh, yeah. so yeah, everybody go check out Dan's podcast and he talks about that with Tim Challies and, um, just other great content out there. And it's interesting, just as you, you said, just a spectrum of people and their work and how they work. It's, it's fascinating. Um, well, like I said, at the outset, I, you gave a talk recently at the gospel coalition national conference, and I assume that's going to be posted eventually. I, I don't know if it's, yeah. it's out there now. Yeah, they um, post
0: everything. And for what it's worth, there's a much less, a much more academic, less practical version of it in the Westminster Journal from spring of this year. So I mean, I okay. heavily adapted it. That that organ, that group was uh, probably eighty percent pastors, okay. and you know, a, t- a journal articles for anybody and everybody. So sure, uh, they're different, but you can get it online. Event soon, maybe already, and and you can get it in the Westminster Journal.
1: Okay, well, I'll look for that. And for our, our listeners, I'll put that in, in the show notes. Um, but, but I'd love for you, and again, the, the title is Narcissism is Toxic for Pastors, but so is Lack of Confidence. Um, I, I'd love for you just to talk about the origins of this this topic. Um, I mean, you are sharing a little bit th- this journal article, but h- how did this come about? What was going on that just made you want to talk about this, write about this, think about this?
0: Oh, thanks. Great question, John. Um, There there are probably three different things. One is a lot of pastors have failed. Some of them are very public, and we don't have to recount the names, but have failed because of uh, bullying or uh, narcissistic behavior, Um, self-promoting, I'm the center of the universe. Of course, they're familiar with pastors misusing funds or sexual issues, but in recent years, abuse of power has been number one, and people connect that to narcissism, which can sometimes be the case to be sure. So narcissism is definitely toxic. Nobody wants to be connected to a narcissistic person. If you try to correct them, they become enraged. How dare you? Um, They push you out. They surround themselves with admirers and uh, become impervious to critique or to correction and slowly go down the path that's not helpful when uh, no one can correct you. So narcissism is toxic. That's point one. Pastors do fail. There are narcissistic pastors. I think it's been overblown significantly. I think that um, there are bullies and it's terrible. And there are narcissists who are pastors and it's terrible. But I don't think there are as many as people say. And, you know, there is a book. I don't want to, you know, speak too explicitly, but there's a book that talks about narcissism coming to church. And it does say in one place that. Most pastors are on the narcissism spectrum, and I have an extremely difficult time believing that, in part because the vast majority of the pastors I know are not narcissistic. They're they're humble, quick to repent, and servants, and far more, this is what partly drove me, are actually recipients of bullying than are bullies. Mm -hmm. And you got elders and deacons and people in their church um, who don't realize that pastor serves everybody but but that doesn't mean everybody's the pastor's boss. And if the past does pastor does something that's that's um contrary to their preferences, a lot of people feel free to unload on their pastors. And so there's a crisis of confidence in it in that group, I mean you were there, in that group there were a lot of men who were beaten up. If you heard the Q&A session, every question in one form or another was how do I endure um events that have caused me to lose my confidence including and then conversations afterward privately as you can imagine had very much the same character and and much more overt so um i also think that in the literature suggests this that the pastors need confidence and as the narcissism book says pages later um there is such a thing as sounds like an oxymoron healthy narcissism which is confidence conviction belief that you have gifts you have something to say something to contribute that your perception of what's needed is weighty you have some expertise and that's needed in a lot of fields politicians lawyers professional athletes professional entertainers professors pastors um lawyers detectives surgeons ceos it's it's uh, there's about 10 to 12 fields that everybody says you need some confidence and pastors i think too often have been robbed of that and they're accused of being narcissistic bullies partly because the terms are in the air and it's not necessarily true and it's damaging to the church and to pastors to accuse them of narcissism or bullying all the time
1: hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much you said there, and I want to dig into that. I know we're needing to take a little break. And so maybe on the other side of the break, um, it might be helpful for us to define narcissism as well. Again, that's the word that can just be thrown around a lot. And I feel like it's a word that's being used a lot lately. And so let's take a quick break. And then on the other side of the break, let's let's define that a bit. All right, everyone, I'm I'm back here with Dan Doriani talking about narcissism being toxic for pastors, but also a a lack of confidence. And we're kind of ending and um, talking about trying to maybe define narcissism, but maybe easier just to describe narcissism a little bit more. It's kind of one of those things I feel like we all know what it is in some ways, but maybe to help clarify uh, just some of those descriptions and ways in which you would describe narcissism.
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, the standard definition of a narcissist is someone who has a very high opinion of themselves, whether their physical appearance, which was a starting point, or uh, their intellectual or physical skills or even emotional skills. And then they have a lot of self-reference. Everybody has self-reference, but they have an excessive amount of self-reference. They're selfish. They feel entitled. They they lack empathy. They want to gather admirers around themselves. And the the focal point of the various books and articles that are written about narcissists is it's most damaging when you have somebody who's talented, maybe a really good speaker and they um, rally or, or leader organizer, and they rally people around themselves uh, excessively. So, I mean, a leader needs to say, come on, let's go. But a leader also needs to say, Hey, but I could be wrong. Um, please tell me what you think, I don't have all expertise, I don't have all knowledge. So there, has, you know, there has to be humility and confidence, both. You have to know things and have skills, and know you don't have all skills. And know that we're all very finite, we're all sinners, and so we all need correction. And that's what's, uh, as it's classically understood, that's what's missing in a narcissist.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, and as I was just thinking about your title, um, you know, it kind of seems like We've got narcissism on one end of the spectrum, and then lack of confidence on the other end of the right. spectrum. But, right. but I'm also curious: are are the two related in some way? Because it seemed like the, the two of them do have a self focus in some ways. Um, yeah. Just curious your your thoughts on that? Because yeah, they're definitely the opposite end of the spectrum. But just also wondering if there's a, a overlap there too.
0: Well certainly if if you lose your confidence you can go in a downward spiral by focusing on yourself and your your deficits. So if if that's your point I certainly agree with it. Um I do think that I'm just going to say in my experience a lot of pastors start off with confidence and have it beaten out of them. Mm-hmm. And it's beaten out of them by controversies in the church about covid and masks and politics over the last several years. But then also I'll call it the drumbeat of criticism in some church. That sermon wasn't good enough. There weren't any interesting illustrations. I mean, he's he's sound, but he's boring. Um, does he work as hard as he should? I was in the hospital. He didn't come see me. Um, mm-hmm. Why did he hire so-and-so? Why didn't he fire so-and-so? So there's there's a lot of that. Maybe it's my unique experience, but I seem to see it a great deal. And again, mm-hmm. they didn't, I don't, When you get depressed, you do focus on yourself possibly too much, but I don't see it fundamentally as a problem of excessive introspection.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know something, too, that that you talked about in the the lecture is just skill and character Mm -hmm. um, and and, in this whole discussion. And so maybe unpack that a little bit for us as well.
0: Right, right. So, um, you know, when we look at the qualifications for a leader in the Bible, Uh, We have the the list. We know the best is First Timothy chapter three, and it has two skills: apt to teach and able to manage his household, and therefore able to manage the church. And it has eleven character traits. You know, not quick to quarrel, self-controlled, hospitable, etc. What's really interesting is that it's set up with he who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task, and so we're ready for tasks and then we get a bunch of character traits which means your first task is to be the man be a leader be godly now the second list over in 1st Timothy 4 actually is almost exactly 50/50 so you know love and humility but also you know teaching and courageous um and and expounding the word uh, that it doesn't it says reading the word but it, it, um it means in context it means uh, explaining the word, reading it with explanations. So in 1 Timothy 4, it's 50-50. In the book of Acts, it's kind of 50-50, about half character, half skill. So we don't want to focus exclusively on skill. We want to s- slightly focus on character more, but you have to recognize there really, is thing is, gifting. The church has been gifted mm. um, all sorts of people with capacities, and we need to use them. And some people are capable of, preaching to a large group, and they're capable of leading, and and they should do so joyfully, cheerfully, faithfully, and the church should receive that with thanksgiving for God's gifts.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good, and I wanted to go back, um, and I mean, we'll go, get into skill in just a little bit, but you were sharing just kind of pulling back the curtain on uh, just some of the criticisms that that pastors receive, and like you said, having kind of the the uh, confidence beat out of them in a lot of ways over critiques, over sermons, and um, all sorts of things. Uh, you, you're a professor. You've also been a pastor for for how many years? I mean, you, you've been
0: depends how you count. I've been a full time <laughs> pastor for about fifteen. I've been an an interim many times. Uh, you almost well always part time, sort of on the side. But uh, sure. anyway, I've been I've, I've got some years in. Yes. <laughs>
1: So, I'd love for you just from your own personal experience, but as well as friends serving in the ministry, just just what is, what would you say is the hardest part of pastoral work as you just kind of think over your years and conversations Mm -hmm. with others? What what are some of those most challenging aspects of pastoral work?
0: You know, it depends so much, John, on the person. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for one person who's maybe a caregiver, a shepherd, um, a leader of small groups, and they're best at that then preaching is the hardest preparing sermons delivering sermons is the hardest for somebody who's a preacher um and a teacher then maybe organization or possibly the caregiving side so i would say i'll just say personally there are two things that are hard for me one is the counseling of really hard problems you know marriage is falling apart it's just it weighs on most pastors so heavily they're just so stricken When they see a marriage breaking up or a a man or a woman sinning and callously refusing to repent, it just crushes your spirit. Hmm. And, you know, going down the path of ruin, uh, or so it seems. Uh, That's one. For me, also, the hard, for me, in some ways, the hardest thing was to switch to go from preparing sermons to staff meeting to counseling. I just found that very, very hard. And many pastors have to do that every week. Um, you, you, you almost wish you had a 30-minute buffer, but you don't. Mm. So frequently you don't.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, well, curious, just um thinking of a healthy confidence mm. um for a pastor. To, what what does that look like? What does a just a right. biblical confidence? I mean, we're talking about skills a minute ago and, and mm-hmm. gifting and sense of a call. Right. um yeah what, what what does that look like
0: yeah so first of all it begins with a sense a personal sense that you have a gift and then the affirmation of that gift by meaningful people who are wise who know you know the world have real contact with um god's mission for the church so if uh you know if you look at one of the gift lists like in, in romans chapter 12 verses 6 to 8 it says you know we have gifts differing according to the grace given to us and we should use them if if service in our serving. so some people are gifted to serve and they should serve they should do that um, one has got the gift of teaching should teach the one who exhorts which could mean preaching i'm like i'm not going to go into the reasons for that but <laughs> exhorting did mean preaching a lot of times in those days uh, the one who exhorts in his exhortation so do it but then if you're Good at giving, you give so you give generously, which means with a you know glad heart. And if you're a leader, you lead with zeal, with passion, right? And so there should be both joy and willingness. Both. I've got a gift; God gave it to me. Should use it. Ideally, you also have joy in that, and it comes by not narcissistic self reflection, but by some self reflection, and then uh, wise input, good input. And then, of course, you have mentors who keep you from making mistakes. You say, hey, I'm going to do this. And the mentor says, that's a great idea, Dan, John, but um, probably not now. You hmm. probably better wait on that one. Um, or have you considered how much labor, how much upheaval that would cost? Uh, you know want to have it. So you need mentors to both affirm and also to rein you in. And it doesn't always mean sin. It could be foolishness errors, blind spots. But uh, that knowing you have mentors who care about you enables you to be confident because you say, I think I want to do this. And then people say, uh, hey, thanks. That's a great idea, but not right now. If that's a voice of love, then it gives you confidence. You're not going to uh, go into a very difficult spot, right? Mm-hmm
1: yeah absolutely uh, what we need those trusted allies that can speak into certain things and and speak right. a hard word and and challenge us and and be able to receive that um I, just curious advice here of how how can a pastor um teach the congregation, that what they're displaying is proper confidence and not mm. narcissism. How, how can we educate the church on, Hey, we are called by God and we need to have a certain amount of confidence in our giftings. And this is not arrogance. This is just mm. boasting in the gifts that, that he's given. How, how do we help our congregation know that and, and see that?
0: Uh, so my short answer, wonderful question, good topic, is by labeling it in other people from the pulpit. Hmm. and in small groups so if you're in a I don't know discipleship group you say isn't it marvelous how John organizes our group thanks John you've got that gift and then on Sunday morning during announcements you don't just say hey there's a barbecue on Saturday morning Saturday lunch for the men who are going to go to a service project you say isn't it fantastic how George and uh I don't know Brandon, have worked together, each using their gifts. Bran is a cook. George loves deeds of mercy. And just say that for 60 seconds and you pray for it. And people hear, oh, you know, uh, everybody has gifts. And we should recognize them, give thanks for them. That's the way I prefer it. Um, Obviously, at times, you know, you might have to tell your elders, look, I'm weak at this, but I'm strong at that. Um, so if if you all can help me with my weakness, so I can focus on my strength, that also is helpful. Not just your elders, Uh, but anybody you're working with.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's a great word. And maybe talk a bit more about that as, um, pastors being able to share their weaknesses, um, Mm. pastors being able to, to, still be confident and we know that as believers uh we, we can boast in our, in our weaknesses but maybe just talk a little bit about that aspect of this conversation
0: right so one of the things i've enjoyed and had an enormous privilege is being in groups with really high caliber leaders from from uh you know with some regularity and what i notice is that the most brilliant people i know have huge gaps in their knowledge And I noticed that the wisest, you know, let's say I'm in a, I mean, I'm in the gospel coalition board. So everybody except me belongs there. And I listen to all these very, (laughs) very intelligent people and somebody like Phil Riken, just to name a name, who's the president of Wheaton, who's an organizational genius. And Sandy Wilson, who's now the head of gospel coalition, organizational genius. They don't know everything. We have a conversation. They don't. Everybody doesn't say, "Oh, that's it. We're done." We heard from you know Sandy and Phil. We all have input. It's stronger even when the weaker members of the team, less gifted in that area. I don't mean we're weak, but less gifted in the area. Contribute. So that that's always true. Nobody has every skill. Nobody has every skill in full measure. We're finite beings. So that's my. That's probably the thing I would like us all to remember first. We're weak, we're finite, we need each other, even when we're so strong in an area.
1: Hmm. Uh, That's a good word. And I don't really know how to, I don't know how to formulate this question. So maybe just, but kind of going back to to the very beginning where, where, I mean, you were saying there's a critique placed on pastors that Hmm. they're all have narcissistic tendencies. There's part of me just through this discussion, realizing You know, I mean, ministry is hard, as we're saying, and we're going to get beat up if we're doing any kind of leadership at all, but leadership in the church for sure. So it just seems like the church is set up to keep pastors from being (laughs) narcissists. So maybe just where is a church failing if there is some kind of narcissistic leadership Mm. in place? Because it does seem like, I mean, accountability is just going to be a part of a church. And if you have people that are able to speak in, uh, to a leader's life, that's going to keep them humble. So again, I don't know where the question is in all of that, mm-hmm. um, but maybe yeah, just yeah. react, react yeah, to I, that I, it react to I'll react
0: to your theme. Um, let me just <laughs> say I agree that everybody has some narcissistic capacities within them. Um, you look at a two-year-old, three-year-old; they want to be the center of the world, and they scream when they don't get their way. Sometimes, no matter how delightful they are, and you know we still scream when we don't get our way. Uh, we don't scream the way a two-year-old does. So we all have the capacity. And the books about narcissism and the way that narcissism strikes the church, says that, and they're correct. Um, but accountability, let's just say a word about that. Accountability is built into, you know, we're Presbyterians, so it's built into a Presbyterian system. It's not built, it's built into connectional and hierarchical churches. So Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, Anglican Church. Presbyterian churches have built-in accountability. I don't say this to generically condemn independent churches, but they do not have built-in accountability. They have uh, free associations. So, you know, you're speaking like a Presbyterian when you say, and that's a compliment, that (laughs) accountability is built in. Uh, Of course, independent churches have some leadership group as well, Um, But if they're selected by the pastor, you can't go outside the church to get help. Um, The second thing is authority accrues. And as you get older and more experienced, people are more and more uh, reticent to challenge you. So in my talk, I I discussed the time I I mentioned the time I um, lost my cool after a a a blind referee fouled (laughs) me out of a basketball game after i had committed no fouls and i was whistled for five fouls and he was a horrible referee and everybody knew it and i blew up and i was a pastor at the time but i was i was 28 maybe maybe barely 29 and the uh and a deacon who was on the team came over and then, and later an elder they just said dan you can't do that you know you're our pastor you can't do that and i shouted i mean i was so angry i shouted when I'm on a basketball court I am not a pastor I'm a basketball player <laughs> and and the, and the deacon said you are a basketball player but you are always our pastor he was correct I was wrong he was right hmm. um, and the elder also gently corrected me if I had a that was a small church I was just you know out of grad school if I were the pastor of a church of a thousand let's say I was 38 years old. People are a lot more reticent to, to tell me you're wrong. Stop it. Um, they would have probably said something like, oh, he's so passionate at the age of 38. It's amazing. I mean, it, it went overboard a little bit, but oh, our pastor's so awesome. How dare that referee call fouls? Doesn't he know who he's calling fouls on? Hmm. And that's my personal illustration. Um, I think everybody knows there's some version of that that's true. It's harder to critique someone who is successful unless they make it very clear that they're always open to critique and correction.
1: Hmm. So so just thinking about those who listen to this, um, you know, youth workers, parents tune into this podcast. Mm. Uh, let's say there's someone listening to this who thinks their pastor or someone in leadership in their church is a, is a narcissist. Um,
0: yeah
1: how would you encourage them to go about rebuking that person? Whether mm-hmm. it's a youth worker hearing this, thinking the pastor they're working with, or it's a congregant listening mm-hmm. to this. What are some thoughts there of just um, yeah. moving towards rebuking?
0: So it, all it everything depends on who you're rebuking who you are, right? If it's kind of a peer relationship, you say, hey, we need to talk about something. Um, If they're really a narcissist, it's hard. You better think long and hard and pray long <laughs> and hard. If they have a slight twinge of selfishness or defensiveness it's a lot easier if they're open and humble it's vastly easier um the book bully pulpit by michael kruger who's mm-hmm. I, I call him as much of we're friends as much as you can possibly be given we see each other every other year so mm-hmm. it's a very good book i don't of course agree with every last point but he tells you what to do for really a chapter um about how to handle it the short comment would be you'd have something concrete. You don't say, you're a narcissist. You say, this happened the other day. I was there. You were there. There were witnesses. Uh, you blew up at the re- at the referee, and there were 80 people who saw it. And this is what you said, and we all heard the same thing. Um, if there aren't witnesses, it's harder, if it's just the two of you. But you could say, I hope you remember what happened the other day. And you know it's similar to something that happened a month ago. Again, you got to pray they're repentant, and some people are and some aren't. But you go with facts. You say things like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what we saw. If it's just the two people, you say, this is what I think I saw. Um, and you let them speak. You make it clear you're there in a spirit of love, not to tear them down or to, you know, to be um, the police detective and the lawyer and the judge and the jury. You're, you're starting a conversation gently, mindful of your own sins.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and earlier you were saying, um, you know, we all have some elements of narcissism in us that we're all, I mean, broken people uh, We're inclined, you know, in or we're, we're turned in on ourselves. Right. Maybe, maybe just some some thoughts on practices to employ to guard us. Uh, mm-hmm. From becoming narcissists. And, you know, I'm thinking again, youth workers listening to this, oftentimes mm-hmm. youth workers are on their own. Um, in many ways, they don't have a lot of oversight. And so some of the ways in which uh, youth ministries are set up, it might we might could say that it could foster narcissism and that kind of um, Uh, Yeah, yeah, just fruit. And so just some thoughts there of anyone listening to this who's thinking, okay, I don't want to head down this path. Mm -hmm. Um, How how might they guard from that?
0: Yeah, that's another wonderful question and topic. So if if you think there's a possibility you could indulge this aspect that's probably present in every person who's ever lived, the first thing you want to do if you don't have clear oversight is spend time in the Psalms, the Psalms that include repentance. Uh, Read the Bible. Compare what you see in the Bible to what you see in your own life. You know, Paul's epistles, Jesus' teaching. there will be, if you meditate on the word and pray it over carefully, you will probably find many opportunities to humble yourself. The Bible certainly calls for proper, not humiliation, but humility on many occasions. So spend time with the word. The other thing I would do is cultivate friends. If you don't have a formal overseer, Or you do, but they're not doing their job uh, of helping you locate your errors, follies, and sins. Then find peers. And I know one of the great things about youth networks is that they tend to create a series of peer relationships. Mm -hmm. And you can ask people. If you're married, you ask your spouse. If you don't ask your spouse, they might tell you anyway. Um, If you're single, your best friends may tell you. You should have a relationship that allows them to do that. So it's... Uh, scripture, prayer, um, ideally an overseer, if not an overseer, then the right peers to mm-hmm. uh, tell you when you're off.
1: Yeah, and that's, yeah, good advice. Um, thinking of kind of the other end of the spectrum, uh, the one who's listening to this right now and is very beat up and just mm. lacking confidence Um What's some encouragement if they, you know, walked into your office and they're just feeling beat up for ministry, how might you point them, you know, to their gifts and to, to see?
0: Yeah, I would probably say, uh, look, trust the church. If you're, if you've been called to ministry, whether ordained or not ordained, you've been called to ministry, you've been interviewed, you've been trained to some degree, whether it's formal or informal, whether you've got a degree or just you're working on courses, you've been trained. You went to get the pastoral training because people wanted you to. They they said, Hey, Marianne, um, we want you to go to this training. Why? Because you have the ability here for to receive the training and grow from it. So you've been trained, you've been called, you've been approved. A bunch of people told you this is a good idea. So let's remember that. And then let's remember some times when your ministry was fruitful. Let's talk about people, the Lord, about uh, maybe the youth group isn't growing by big numbers, but maybe there's depth. Maybe there, there's a couple conversions. Maybe there's been real progress. Just remember that and take it to heart. Write it down. Give thanks for it. Celebrate it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a yeah, it's such a good word. I think so often we can just, I mean, one, we we can focus on the negative so much more than than the positive, but taking moments to to truly celebrate the Lord's work and to to stop, to sit back, to see ways in which um he can he can use us. I think that's that's something we, we need to practice more as believers, as counsel. We need to hear more. Um, I know we're needing to wrap this up. Um other thoughts there's so much to talk about here there's so much to unpack just anything you feel like we've glossed over anything you feel like is just an important point to, to drive home any other thoughts before we wrap this up
0: yeah maybe two two quick thoughts uh one is that God does say he gives gifts to his church and he gives people and then he tells us how to develop them you know mm-hmm. we're we're told to uh to practice if you have the gift of teaching then teach. So you're going to gain skill by teaching. And, and uh, you know, Paul tells Timothy not to be timid. There's a place for boldness and confidence. The word boldness, uh, which is connected to confidence, appears a number of times in the book of Acts in a positive sense. So there's a place for boldness and confidence. Um, the second thing is uh, we do need to listen to reports. And I I hope nobody hears me saying, anything other than there is such a thing as bullying and narcissism it's a real problem it's not created by the media it's not just the trend of the day there is a problem um but let's not simply follow the media and the latest wave of what's happening now so there is a problem but narcissism and bullying are not the only problems um lack of confidence mistreatment of pastors is a very big one as well let's let's have room in our minds to have several ideas held possibly in tension at once they can they're both true
1: hmm.
0: i mean the, the most basic thing however it, last point is that you know the bible says the lord appoints ambassadors gospel ambassadors and if you wonder if there's a place for confidence and it seems like god has chosen you to do this you have some ability to proclaim the gospel message and all of its ramifications then you are an ambassador. And if you wonder, oh, how how dare I stand up and tell people? Well, it's not your message. Hmm. You're an ambassador. You have been given a word by the king that the king knows people need. And he's he has appointed you for that. So go and do it.
1: Yeah, that's a good word to end on. Um, Dan, I know you've got a lot going on, and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on here today.
0: John, always a pleasure to visit with you. I'm so thankful for your ministry. You're a great encourager. I'm sure you are a tremendous blessing to the people you work with, and I'm thankful for you and your work. Oh,
1: come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without money.